Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and UpRocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. Today we're going to be playing a new game here on the podcast. I'm calling it Fantasy A&R. And it's where we take an album that is a classic album that we all know and love, and we ask ourselves, what can we do to improve this record? You know, if we were working A&R for a record company, and we had to figure out, like, okay, do we need a hit single here? Do we need it to be shorter? Do we need overdubs on this what would we say so that's what we're going to be playing here i'm calling it fantasy a and r and the album that we're going to be talking about is the white album by the beatles and specifically the question is if you had to make a 12 track version of the white album how would you do it i mean it seems like a pretty hard challenge because the white album of course is known as this famously sprawling record there's so many different kinds of songs on it you've got the paul songs the the John songs, you have a bunch of George songs, you know, there's like ragtime, there's country western, there's like psychedelic freakouts, there's ballads about the Maharashi, there's everything on this record. How in the hell would you pare this down into sort of a regular sized record? So in order to get to the bottom of this question, I called up my good friend Rob Mitchum, who you may know, he's written for all sorts of places, including Pitchfork and Rolling Stone and Spin and all the way down the list. And we talked it out. By the way, we we're talking about the White Album, of course, because it's the 50th anniversary of the record. Uh, it was released on November 22nd, 1968. Uh, you may be aware of a new box set that just came out uh, on the record. I have not heard it yet because it's like super expensive. I think it's like 140 bucks for like six discs and one Blu-ray. So, if anyone out there wants to get me a Christmas present, <laughs> I would enjoy to get you know getting the the White Album box set. But uh, I don't think I'm going to pony up for that just yet. So that's sort of like the timely hook of this. But really, you know, it's always fun to dig into a classic album like this and to sort of debate about which songs deserve to be on there and which ones don't. So Rob and I, we both made our own 12-track versions of the White Album. And we contrasted and compared. And we we found out, you know, did you put on Obla Di Obla Da? Did you put on Helter Skelter? (laughs) You know, what about Why Don't We Do It in the Road? Does that have a place on any of these records? I think it's going to be fun. We had a great time talking about it. I'm sure if you're a fan of the Beatles, you probably have your own answer to this question. So play along with us in this game of fantasy A&R, if you will. So yeah, let's get into it. This is me and Rob Mitchum talking about the Beatles' White Album and our own 12-track versions of that sprawling classic here on the Celebration Rock Podcast. So the last time we saw each other was a couple weeks ago. We went to go see Fish together in Chicago at the Allstate Arena home of the world's narrowest bathrooms. <laughs> it's true, we did. It was like this, just a dump of an arena, but it added to the experience, I feel like. Yeah, I think that's Fish's natural habitat, is dumpy minor league <laughs> hockey arenas around the country. Well, that was a good time. You know, we went to all three shows. That was my first, uh, like, stand like that. You know, like, just get a hotel room, stay in the same place for a long weekend, and catch the whole run and i had a blast I, and I, you know i thought the shows were a little hit or miss but it was fun 
Yeah, yeah. No, it was a good run altogether. What did you, what did you find different about uh, being in one city for a run instead of traveling around? Well, you know, it was definitely feeling like immersed in that world. You know, like you get up, you do your thing during the day, you try to figure out when can I start drinking? When is when is it too early to start drinking? Because I'll be tired during the show, but like I also want to feel good going into it. Like Saturday night was like my perfect level of intoxication. Like I, I felt great during that show. I was also next to a guy dressed as Mike Ditka, and he uh, helped me out a little bit during that show. I so, think he was dressed as Chris Farley, dressed as Mike <laughs> Ditka, to be probably, accurate. Probably, and. Uh, it was just it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was it, it was just kind of fun to have an excuse uh to have like a rock and roll weekend like that. You yeah. know, don't normally get that now at this at this point in my life. And and again, I you know, the shows were good. I mean, the the Friday night show was was really great. Saturday and they I mean, Saturday was not as good and then Sunday was like the first set was all over the place and then the second set was was quite good. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a great run. I uh, I hadn't seen them in two years, which is the longest I've gone since they came back. Uh, but I also enjoy just sort of being in one spot and being able to focus just on the shows and sort of the, you know, the pacing is important for both fans and band. And rather than having to concentrate all your expectations into just like a two-set show, you kind of get you know, six sets to sprawl out. And right. if one set doesn't quite hit and doesn't quite work for you, like at least you've got, you know, five other ones that have got a shot. So, yeah, I liked it. And I liked how, you know, the shows Friday and Saturday, I thought felt sort of similar, but Sunday had sort of a weirder edge to it that sometimes didn't work and sometimes paid off. So it was good times. And of course, it's all immediately forgotten uh, in the wake of the Halloween show. <laughs> right. Well, this is going to be my segue into our conversation today because, of course, Fish covered the White Album for Halloween in 1994. Was that in New York? That was in Glen Falls, Glens Falls, New York. Glen Falls, so New York. upstate New York, yeah. So we're going to transition from Fish to the White Album. That's my segue there. Okay. Talking about the Perfect. Beatles' White Album. It's the 50th anniversary of the record. I believe it's November 22nd is the 50th anniversary. And there's a new box set that I believe will be out by the time this podcast posts. It's like a six-disc plus one Blu-ray box set. On Amazon, it's like 140 bucks, which, you know, it's one of those things like where they say it's six discs, but like two of the discs are just like remastered versions of like the album itself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they kind of cheat with that. So I put it on my Christmas list. I might make someone else pay that amount of money to give me the box set so I can get the outtakes because I'm curious to hear that stuff. Um, like, do you have any interest in that box set? Yeah, I don't know. It's the kind of thing where I'll probably listen to the, you know, the Usher tapes, which I've heard sort of in bits and pieces and all the session stuff. It's a lot like these Dylan boxes where it's fun to listen to them once and maybe throw together a little playlist of stuff you want to hear again but otherwise it's just kind of a it's an object for the the real beatles heads out there well they put on a shelf they're smart with these box sets because they don't put them all on spotify like they'll give you like a, a sampler but you know if you want to hear everything you have to pony up or you know have a friend that 
we'll play it for you or, or lend it to you or something. Like I, and with the Dylan box sets, I, I, um, I, I just go full out on those now. I bought the Blood on the Tracks one, and that's even more limited than some of the other ones because it's really just about 10 songs that are played over and over again. Although, because I am a real head, I really love it because there's different lyrics usually in the different versions and stuff, but definitely not something that a normal person would want to buy. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. I don't think the I don't think of the Beatles as the type of band that you need to hear all those takes. Right. I don't, I don't know why that is exactly though, since they had definitely different arrangements. Well, the anthology has some cool alternate versions, like those True. Al- those anthology uh, things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, my sense of these demos is that it's just acoustic versions of all the white album songs right that's what the usher tapes are and it looked i was looking at sort of the track listing today and it looks like there are you know a couple takes here a couple takes there for every other song from the actual sessions but uh i don't know i think you got to be real 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 into it to to care about take 13 of uh piggies (laughs) now like the usher tapes are those like the uh the demos that they recorded in india um I know, they were, I know like when they were in india with the maharashi they were like writing a bunch of these songs i believe they came back and did a big demo session so okay please cut this out if that's inaccurate well you know because i'm not the beatlesologist to answer that question exactly yeah i just like to wonder like if if they're like the tapes from india if you can hear like mike love like just stroking his beard in the background like right the mia farrow <laughs> mia farrow like dodging was it Mia Farrow or I think it was her sister actually that was supposedly propositioned by the Maharashi and that's why yes. that's why Lennon wrote Sexy Sadie. It was was it her sister? It was her sister. That is correct. I okay. do know that that okay. part of the lore. So before we get into our game here, and I'm calling this game by the way, I'm calling it Fantasy A and R. Okay. Okay. Where we t- we're going to take the White Album and we're, we each made our own twelve track versions of the White Album, and I'm excited to share. I have no idea what's on yours, and you don't have any idea what's on mine. It's a um, blind reveal. It's a blind reveal. But before we get into it, uh, where does the White Album land for you in terms of like the Beatles catalog? Like, is it your favorite album? Is it in the running? Do you think it's overrated? Like, how do you feel about it? Yeah. So, uh, the White Album is my favorite Beatles album. Um, I think it has been since I was a kid. And I was thinking about why that is, and I was like, oh, you know, it's obvious why it's my favorite Beatles album, because it's kind of like the most, like, 90s indie rock of the Beatles albums, right. where it's very messy, and it's, like, got this big sprawl to it, and it's it's everything that I really like about music, sort of, in one album. And then I realized that I had it backwards, that it's I don't like it because it's the most 90s indie rock album. I probably like 90s indie rock because it was my favorite Beatles album, because <laughs> I... I was probably seven or eight when I first heard it uh, from my parents' CD collection. It wasn't the first Beatles album I heard. Um, I was really into Magical Mystery Tour because I thought it was a kid's album based on the cover and listened to it a ton when I was a little kid. Uh, but the White Album is the one that I like. It's one of the first like album albums I can remember appreciating as like a, you know, a, an aesthetic whole rather than just you know, something going on in the background or something that has my favorite song somewhere in the middle that I just repeat that song over and over again and not listen to the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm with you. It, it, it's my favorite Beatles album as well. And for the reasons that you stated, I think, again, like if, if you came to this album listening to like 90s indie rock or like 2000s 
rock music or whatever really it's it feels more contemporary in a way than a lot of Beatles albums do so that was a hook I love the lore of this album you know if you look at like Sgt. Pepper as being sort of the ultimate sort of artifact of the 60s uh, or, or I guess like the hippie 60s like to me the White Album is like the dark 60s you know it, obviously you have all the Manson stuff that came in after the fact uh, but there's just a vibe of discord on this record uh, you know, it's presaging Altamont. You know, it seems like it's setting the stage for the darkness coming in to the counterculture at the end of the 60s. In a way, too, I feel like musically it's like the beginning of the 70s in a lot of ways. You yeah. know, like, like you listen to like Dear Prudence, I'm like, okay, David Gilmore was obviously taking notes listening to this song. You know, like some of like the harder rocking songs. Just Bro, yeah, and even like the Beatles that. look, like those right. pictures in the White Album, that sort of beardy look that they were starting to adopt is like what every band looked like for the next ten years. Right. <laughs> like, it, you know, whereas it, it's almost, it's you know, it's always crazy to think about how like condensed in time all these albums were in the late '60s, but it makes Sgt. Pepper look already out of date. Oh yeah, absolutely, and, and just like all the stuff about them, like starting to hate each other, you know, all the drama going on, like Ringo quit during the sessions. And, you know, I think Lennon was uh, at least dabbling in heroin around this time. And you could see that starting to seep into the songs. You know, there's just so much drama behind the scenes, you know, because you feel like a lot of the earlier Beatles records, they always seem like they were pals and they were pretty professional, just knocking out records. Uh, at a pretty sort of regular pace. And then you get to the White Album, and it's so much messier than anything they ever did. And you just feel the tension come out that was going on behind the scenes into the songs. So all that drama I'm really addicted to as well when I listen to this record. Um, One thing I found when I was making this 12-track version, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, because I found that the bangers on this record were fairly easy to pick out. Like just going through the album song by song and knowing that, th- that this is my favorite Beatles album, it was sort of like, well, actually, some of these songs just by themselves, if they're isolated, like they're not that strong necessarily. There's not a lot of like my favorite Beatles songs on this record necessarily. And I find that like with double albums generally, and I'm a big fan of double albums, but I, I think that they're generally sort of immersive experiences and they make they're sort of more than the sum of their parts. Like part of the appeal of Exile on Main Street is just the vibe of like them hanging out in this French mansion and doing drugs and churning out these dark songs or, you know, Bob Dylan, Blonde on Blonde, which is probably the best double album ever. But there's some songs on there that are sort of like, well, not my favorite song, but it's like Dylan in Nashville doing a lot of speed. Like this is pretty cool. Or even like an album like Being There by Wilco kind of has the same thing where it's not that every song is strong it's about the overall vibe and if you start to break it down you you might see like oh there's actually not there's actually some maybe not great songs on here but i like them in the context of the record i mean like is that your experience yeah yeah i totally agree i was gonna make the same point that like a lot of these songs if you sort of pull them out in isolation i think kind of end up looking like some of the worst Beatles songs, to be totally <laughs> honest. Right. Uh, like, if you know, Bungalow Bill, for instance. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody would mount a very serious defense of that song. <laughs> right, right. But, but it works, right? It's the type of song that I wouldn't want to lose in the middle of, like, the White Album, like, with all the other songs around it. 
Um, I even love that it leads right into, you know, one of the best songs on the album, like, because it's just such a jarring, like, shift in tone that it, like, it, I love it. Um, so, I, and you can say that about a handful of songs on here. And yeah, I had the same experience when I was trying to pick out what I wanted to pluck. Like Wild um, Honey Pie. Like, you know, North yeah. I love Wild Honey Pie, but it's like when you listen to the Wild album, you're like, oh, the Beatles are just kind of doing everything. Right. Just letting it all and, hang out. So it's cool in the context of, of the record. Yeah, why don't we do it in the road? Same thing. Like, and but I think you know we've talked about this before, but I'm a big fan of rock operas and concept albums. And one thing that those albums always have is these sort of like interstitial songs right. that aren't really meant even to function on their own. Um, and they might be just sort of scraps of ideas or fragments of ideas, but they're they're bridge songs. They're a particular mood that connects, you know, a more fully realized song to another more fully realized song. Um, and yeah, so like, well, I think this, you know, sort of boiling it down to one album is sort of a fun exercise. Like, I almost kind of do it under protest because right. I feel like it's never going to be as good. And I don't subscribe to this like, oh, the White Album, like, what a great album that would have been if the Beatles had an editor or if, you know, they still listen to George Martin about what they should put on and what they should leave off or whatever, you know, sort of theory gets baked into there. But because I, I love that it is all over the place and that they are doing these weird genre experiments and that it, you know, it is, as you say, you know, the the sum, uh, it's more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. And it's... uh and like, you know, the 90s indie rock thing I brought up before, it's like an album, a good sort of comparison album from that era that I know we both love is Alien Lanes, where obviously there's a ton of songs on there that are ridiculous on their own. <laughs> uh, but you don't just listen to like one song off. You don't just listen to Chicken Blows. Like you listen to the whole thing from top to bottom and it's like a suite of music. Right. Uh, and it becomes something bigger than just, you know, 26 songs. And the White Album, I feel the same way about. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the the album I made, my 12-track album, you know, it's 38 minutes long. I love all the songs. But, like, the vibe of the White Album is, is mostly gone. And it, 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 it just, it's like it's a tighter record, you know. And if I went through it song by song, I would say, oh, yeah, this is way better than the actual White Album. But the White Album as an experience and as a vibe is like way better than the album I made. Yeah. But I'll still stand behind it. This is fantasy A&R. I don't want to lose my fantasy A&R job. So I'm, I'm going to stand behind the album I made, and I'm curious to hear the album you made. Before we begin, I'm curious, was there a song that was hard for you not to put on or that you were surprised that you didn't end up putting on? Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, I want to say mine is also 38 minutes. So oh, wow. I'm going to add this extra tension of, like, maybe we picked the exact same 12 songs. Oh, man. What a hilarious reveal that would be at the end of this podcast. That would, but... be, that, that would be like a romantic comedy where it's like Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan don't, you know, they, all, you know, they think that they're talking to somebody else on the, isn't that You Got Mail? Like, where they don't realize that they're, uh, they think they're enemies, but then they're actually falling in love. and then they Yeah, it's one of those, yeah. This would be like that, sort of. But anyway, what was the song that you... Yeah, so the one that I, like, felt the worst about leaving off, because I I think it is the one that I like more than, like, the general population does by the most deviation, is uh, Savoy Truffle. I like, I love the George songs. I'm always a George man when it comes to the Beatles. Um, I don't know, it's a goofy song. It doesn't really fit the mood of the 12 songs I came up with. Uh, but it's like one of my sort of sleeper favorites on the record. Uh, 
that I felt bad about not including. Yeah, that was that didn't make mine either. I like that song a lot. Actually, a George song that I almost put on was Long, 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 because I've, I always like that song. Not as a song, really, but again, as a vibey type mood piece. Like It, it, it works for me mm-hmm. as like sort of a distillation of like again like the the evil 60s weariness starting to set in type type thing so i like that song for that but i didn't put it on the song that's uh perfectly placed perfectly skelter too absolutely and the song that i felt like i was gonna put on but i ended up not doing it was glass onion and i always liked that song as a kid i actually kind of like it less now so i guess that's probably why i didn't put it on but um on my album I have a lot of John songs on my album. Yeah, I had the same thing, and I was surprised. Yeah, because I would never say, "Yeah, I like I like John the best." I don't I don't want to be one of those people. I feel like this was uh, his last hurrah, really, in the Beatles, because I feel like after this, you know, I mean, he obviously wrote great songs on Abbey Road, but that feels like more of a Paul record. But like, I don't know, Lennon is like he he shows up big time on the White Album, I and you know, as I was like thinking about that further and listening back through it. I think part of it is that the White Album is maybe the last album that Paul actually made significant contributions to John's songs. Because I felt like all the John songs I picked were clearly John songs, but with a really awesome Paul bass line. Right, totally. <laughs> and, and I think you listen and you get into John solo stuff, and maybe that's one of the, maybe that's sort of the key missing piece is that there's not this like amazing sort of counter melody in the bass or somewhere, you know, some other instrument uh, that it was, you know, has Paul's fingerprints all over it. Man, I wonder if we have the same list. I'm, 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 I'm getting it, a vibe it, here. It's going to have a lot in common. I've already found two differences, but uh, yeah, okay. uh, it's going to be more similar than maybe our listeners would uh, prefer. <laughs> I know. There are going to be people who are like, oh, Savoy Truffle is my number one track on side one on my record so you know somebody somewhere probably thinks that somebody somewhere is like yeah they want nothing but julia (laughs) all right well let's get into it okay so what is on your uh side one so i kicked it off oh i'm sorry wait wait i'm sorry before we begin yeah i should just mention again i picked this is 12 songs six songs on each side i just want to mention too that like my part of the inspiration for this was that the Beatles American record label early in their career used to take the British editions of the Beatles records and basically re-edit them and make them like 12 songs long. And sometimes they'd pull singles in and other and other tracks or everything. So like I was actually talking about this with Rob Sheffield and he was saying you should make it 14 songs long because that's how long the Beatles albums were. But I was like, no, we're the bastardized sort of American version of the White Album. If like Capitol Records or whatever had decided fuck you, Beatles, we're not putting out like a 28-song record. We're going to put out a 12-song record. This is the alternate reality where that would be. So Right. Okay, so that's my disclaimer for this. So what's on your side one? Right. So mine kind of like it's it's got the side A, side B, but it also kind of falls into sort of four sections uh, just to make it extra concept album-y and sweetie. <laughs> um, I kicked it off with Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except Me and My Monkey. All right. And uh, so the the rest of the sort of first mini section is Cry Baby Cry and While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Uh, for a long time, I wanted to start off with While My Guitar Gently Weeps just to make it like, that, that is my favorite song on the album. It's my favorite Beatles song, most likely. Um, I thought, 
starting it off, kicking off the album with that would be the, a, a very bold statement. But I decided to kind of uh, mimic in a way the flow of the original White Album where it sort of builds up to that because I feel like, yeah, that's just too much, too much to drop on a listener right <laughs> away. So this is sort of like the sort of like the groove based Beatles section of the album. Okay. Like some, you know, more sort of rocking and serious songs. Uh, do you want me to do the rest of side A? Yeah, yeah, do, yeah do the rest. Yeah, so I finished it off with sort of the Manson Suite, <laughs> where I did uh, Revolution 1, uh, Into Happiness is a Warm Gun, Into Helter Skelter. Oh. Uh, if I'm allowed a small cheat, okay. uh, and sort of based on the uh, concept you just explained, I would sub in the single Revolution for Revolution 1. I, I like Revolution fine, just fine. Yeah. But uh, the single uh, is better, I think, and would fit a lot better in this flow I have on side A. You know, I, I thought about doing that. I was almost going to pull that card of, like, I'm going to put on uh, Revolution, like the, the single, like the faster version. Mm-hmm. And I, I opted against it, so I'm, I'm happy to see you did it. At any point, did you consider putting Hey Jude on here? I thought about that. I, I'm constantly, even though they're a double A side or, you know, they're on the same single and they came out in advance of the White Album, I just, like, cannot break free of thinking of Hey Jude as a later Beatles song for some reason. Right. It right. just sounds to me like an Abbey Road, Let It Be type Paul epic. Right. Um, if I... I did think about putting that as a closer on side B, but it just it doesn't it doesn't sound white albumy to me. Yeah, it, it, it's a little too uh, you know it, it's like a song of consolation, you know, and it feels a little sunnier than again. I feel like the white album is this dark record generally. Like I, I get a dark vibe from it, and Hey Jude, I don't know if that totally fits on the record, but the fast version of Revolution I think definitely would would fit. You know, it's fascinating here, okay, just to see what the similarities are in our list. Cause, okay, so on my side one, are we saying side one or side A? Oh, side, side A. Should we say side A? Okay, so side A, my first track is Helter Skelter, because I feel like, let's just throw down the gauntlet here. We're gonna, this is like, yeah, you heard that Sgt. Pepper bullshit. Now it's like people are getting assassinated here in 1968. We're getting dark, so just bash him over the head. I also like the story with Helter Skelter about how Paul McCartney, I think he was reading about the Who and in like some British newspaper and they were saying like the Who were like the heaviest band or the loudest band in England at the time and McCartney was like, oh yeah? Or, oh yeah? Well, hey, here's my real Helter Skelter, man. You know? <laughs> it's my Mac. Oh, what do you good, uh, Derek, good McCartney? Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. All right, thank you. Well, loud. Uh, so I like that. I, I like that just kind of like a throwing down the gauntlet type track one. And then I have Dear Prudence, number two. It's number two on the White Album. I think it's a great spot for it. My number three track is also uh, My Guitar Gently Weeps. I think that's, huh? a, that's a great just number three slot. It's like, you know, it's it's like George coming out saying, I'm going to write the most sort of epic song on this record. You know, like it feels like the most sort of statementy sounding song. Like, I mean, he'd written good songs before that, but like this was like him saying, "I'm going to write this sort of stately epic that looks ahead to like all things must pass, and even like the Bangladesh concert." You know, I'm going to get Eric Clapton to play the guitar solo. You know, like this is my coming out party. So I like that number three, four. I have "Sexy Sadie," uh, which is in the running for like my favorite song on the album. 
love I'm a huge sexy Sadie person. And I'm curious to see if they ended up on your on your side B, but I won't ask that yet. Blackbird next, and I'm so tired, closing out the side. And the idea with this is that I wanted this side to get kind of gradually sadder and druggier and like darker. Cause like the second side I feel like is a little bit darker than the first side. So you start with the scream of Helter Skelter and, and you have these pretty songs, but it's all kind of melancholy. So that's my side. So yeah, I, I kind of thought about doing like a loud side and a quiet side right? myself and mine sort of still fits that. Um, you know, happiness is a warm gun. Isn't that aggressive of a song, but, uh, yeah, definitely starting with Monkey and ending with Helter Skelter. I wanted two big, like, the, the big rave-ups uh, to bookend the side. I'm curious, like, on my side A, like, is there anything that you didn't put on at all? I did not put Blackbird on my 12. See, that is a shocker. Yeah, and I know my friend that I uh, screened this with uh, before the call, uh, that was his biggest protest, too. And, I, I mean, I don't know. Blackbird, that is me just, like, invoking sort of a... A personal preference where I'm just I'm just tired of that song, <laughs> and like maybe it's because we watch Boss Baby a lot in our house. Which uh, <laughs> Wait, for is all Blackbird of you non-parents Bo- out there, Blackbird is uh, a song that comes up quite a bit in Boss Baby. Does like does Baldwin sing Boss Baby or uh, uh, Blackbird? <laughs> wow, you haven't uh, indulged in Boss Baby. Well, uh, it, it's been on, and you know it's been on in the background, and like I left the room. Ah, okay. Well, the kids, uh, his parents' special song they sing to him every night is Blackbird. Oh. So you get to hear uh, Lisa Kudrow sing it, I believe, instead of, uh, you don't hear Alec Baldwin as Boss Baby singing Blackbird. <laughs> well, it's funny because the Lisa, the Lisa Kudrow version is the one I'm putting on the White Album. It's, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's not the Beatles version. It's like, uh, <laughs> no, I think it's a great song, and it's also, it's, it feels of the time to me. So I feel like it fits. And also... You know, I needed to get some McCartney on the record because, like, on my on my side, a I've got, well, I guess I have two McCartney songs, and then three Lennon and one Harrison, uh, and then it gets more lopsided on my side B in in Lennon's favor. I think I've got like seven Lennon songs. Yeah, I only have two Paul songs. Only so two. One of them Paul. I think has secretly become my favorite. I mean, well, I already said while well, my guitar gently weeps is my favorite Beatles song, but sort of you know putting that one aside. My my late, most recent favorite on the White Album uh, shows up on side B. On your side A, um, I didn't put uh, Monkey on my record. The, okay. Everybody wants somebody to hide, and I love that song. Uh, don't the don't the Feelies do a cover of that song? Yeah, it's a great cover on Crazy Rhythms. Uh, it's a great one. Um, yeah, I just didn't have didn't have the room, so that got so that got the cut. Unfortunately, um, what's on your side B? Uh, so side B, I kick off with Dear Prudence. Nice. And I, I do really think that, like, uh, while my guitar gently weeps and Dear Prudence are like the two you gotta have. Well, when you made that thing about made that point about the bass line, that you were talking about Dear Prudence clearly, right? That like, is definitely one of them. Yeah, like, where it's like there's so much going on down there that I don't think John directly had to do with. So right. Um, yeah, just a perfect song. Yeah, beautiful. That would be maybe my. I mean. I'm a big sexy Sadie person, but yeah, Dear Prudence um, is, I mean, that's one of the great late period John Lennon songs. And again, like, I feel like the, the guitar sound on that record, uh, on that particular song is like, you know, just the, the you know, they, they kind of return to that on Abbey Road. And I feel like Dark Side of the Moon is like just taking that. 
Right. You know, that you know, the, the, I don't know how you'd even describe the sound of that guitar, but it just sounds very dreamy and uh, pastoral and psychedelic and uh, sort of post psychedelic in a yeah, way. Yeah. Right. It's yeah, uh, kind and of very section, simple no, but co- effective. But yeah, exactly. What are you gonna say? Well, this section of the record is sort of my like. Here's where Elephant Six got all of its inspiration <laughs> side, right. um, because this like sort of triplet of songs is meant to be sort of like the the weird poppy Beatles uh, that would go on to have its own influence. So I go from Dear Prudence to Martha, My Dear. Oh man, which, which is that's the song I was just talking about. Where like now when I listen to the White Album, I get real excited to hear Martha, My Dear. I think that is like a, a very underappreciated song on the record and it is definitely paul like walking that balance beam of being extremely twee and precious um but the melody is incredible the arrangement is so good um i don't know how he is able to sing it and not pass out (laughs) and it's uh yeah it's it's a good one that you know probably 10 years ago i wouldn't have included in this but yeah i I hated that song as a kid that would that was always a skippical a skippical skippical skippable skippable song for me and i've come around to like it uh more as a as a grown man and maybe you know, having kids, you're more sentimental. Even though he's talking about his dog, I guess. It's he's about not, dog, yeah. yeah but, which gives a bonus point. But it seems like he's talking about a, like a child or, you know, there's some, like a like a paternal type feeling in right. that song. It's a song that like could have been, could easily fit on like Ram. Like, right. Like all these, that's the thing about the White Album is it all kind of, it's great foreshadowing for like those good early solo albums. Uh, so you got like your Ram songs and your... Plastic Ono Band songs and your All Things Must Pass songs. Oh, yeah. Sort of in gestation. Yeah, like, so. I'm So Tired, I feel like, is such a Plastic Ono Band type right. song. And that, I feel like, is one of the dark horses of the album. I've always loved that song. And I put it at the end of my side A. And uh, just a song that you feel the drama of the of the circumstances behind the making of the record coming out. Like, right. Lennon basically saying, like, I'm sick of this situation and... Maybe I'm strung out a little bit, and just an amazing vocal going from lackadaisical to he has that great sort of shout at the end of it. Right. And yeah. Beautiful. Good yelling. Primal Good. scream. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Uh, what, yeah. else, what else on your side, B? So uh, I had Dear Prudence, Martha, My Dear, and then I have Glass Onion. Oh. To close out this sort of like weird psychedelic Beatles section. I included Glass Onion for two reasons. I love self-referential songs by any band uh and obviously that's the whole like point of this song is for john to make weird jokes about the beatles past yeah. uh and i also think the production is amazing um and like i should say i love elephant six like i love <laughs> that i'm not making fun of elephant six for you know taking a lot of inspiration from this era of the beatles though they're a little more you know of course sergeant peppery I like mystery tour, but like Glass Onion to me is like that's that kind of like weird Beatles influence on that type of '90s indie rock where it's just like you got string sections doing weird things, you got these like crazy the drum sound on that song is amazing. Yeah, that like sort of crunchy distorted drums, like All the drum lyrics are... that just make no sense, but you right. know are kind of cheeky and full of references, and it's it's a fun song. I like it, though I know it annoys a lot of people. Yeah, I mean. I was just going to say the drum sound on this whole record is is incredible. I mean, that's why, you know, Danger Mouse, I think, probably used it for the Grey album. You know, just like the beats on this record, 
you wouldn't necessarily think of the like a Beatles record being like a reservoir of like cool sounding drums, but I feel like the White Album is uh, really notable in that regard. I mean, Glass Onion was a song I loved again as a kid. I think because I was getting into the Beatles and I loved the Beatles story, and so like all the self-referential stuff was really cool. I mean, I kind of laugh at it now because it's like like John Lennon had just written Strawberry Fields. And like he was kind of talking about it like it was like this mythical song already. And I guess it probably was, you know. It was like only a year later and he's already like, you know, I told you about Strawberry Fields, the place where nothing is real. It's like it's like he's talking about a song he wrote 20 years ago, but it was right. like already that ingrained and in, But it's in the like, culture. you know, he's definitely making fun of them. Right. At the same time, I love like the fool on the hill part where they put in the little recorder line like <laughs> and of course all the Paul's dead stuff. I mean, yeah, it was already mythical because everything the Beatles did was mythical. <laughs> I know, I like that he's making fun of a Paul song, too. It's like, <laughs> no, it's like, yeah, and Paul does play the recorder on that, so Paul uh, took it well. Yeah, Paul, I don't think Lennon would have been as happy about that if, if, the, if the roles were reversed. If Paul, <laughs> you know, wrote a yeah. song making fun of, you know, uh, Day in the Life of Mr. Kite or something. Oh, absolutely. And then also, I mean, another reason to include Savoy Truffle, I guess, is that it, it is self-referential to a song earlier on the album. <laughs> Oh, that's right. And that, and that Paul did not enjoy that at all. Although you'd have to like include both songs then. <laughs> right, yeah, kinda, that's you, true. You kind of locked into both. So, uh, you, what, do you have two songs left? The three songs left, three and this songs. is sort of my, like, I think where you're going to sad, atmospheric uh, capper to the album, and that's where I put I'm So Tired Oh, nice. Uh, into Long, 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 which I'm sorry you left it off, but at oh. least we have some differences. Uh, yeah. I think Long, Long, Long is amazing, and another like sort of sign that George was really sort of hitting his stride and it just I love even just like the volume dynamics on that song I think are really incredible and really bold like it 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 I think works a lot better coming off of Helter Skelter than it does on my imaginary album uh because the the start of it is so quiet you can almost like barely hear it right uh, but it builds all the way up and has some great just again great drums you know, uh, props to Ringo. Ringo never gets the credit he deserves. But a Ringo drum on that track, I can never be sure I if Ringo so. was uh, had quit or not during certain songs. I think he did on that track. Uh, he was good with the George songs, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then I cap it off in the cheesiest move with "Good Night," because how can you not end an album with "Good Night"? And also, uh, you gotta have a Ringo song, especially oh, going man. back to your original concept. Uh, Capitol Records would not allow a Beatles record to go out without a Ringo song, and I didn't want to put "Don't Pass Me By" anywhere. So, oh my God, Good Night it is. I can't believe you went with Good Night. I that, that that's a shocker here at the end of this album. I'm like, <laughs> you went with Good Night. I see because I almost went with like Revolution Number no. Nine, just to be cheeky, but yeah. And that's where I would have put Hey Jude if, like, I considered Hey Jude sort of of the White Album. Uh, ending on a, on Hey Jude is also pretty good. Hey Jude, so pretty you, good song. I mean, do you like Good Night, or is this more of like a concept pick? <laughs> it is more concept than I like it. I think I like it better in theory. I really like... There's like an instrumental version on the anthology, right? Yeah, where it's like the string section or something. Yeah, and I like that better. Right. Uh, it, it is... It's both a cheesy decision about just an immensely cheesy song, <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's just I can't think of another, a better way to end it. I feel like I pull the ripcord on the White Album usually around Long, Long, Long. Like I, mm, that's yeah. often my actual last track on the record because I, because I think after that is it Revolution Number no. Nine or is it Sefwa Truffle? 
I can't remember the exact order at the end. Right. Like, well, you got Cry Baby Cry hidden way at the end there. Oh, too, which... Cry Baby. Okay, I definitely hit that song. Yeah. Uh, I mean, basically before Re- Revolution Number no. 9 is, is yeah. usually when I, when I pull the ripcord on it, if I'm listening to this record. I mean, Honey Pie is the worst song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I love every song in the White Album. Honey Pie is the worst of all of those. I like Wild Honey Pie better than I like Honey Pie. Yeah, that that's where you're like, okay... Martha, my dear, you're on the right side of it, Macca. You know, you're getting a little cheesy, but it's a beautiful song. We can defend that, but... Right. Uh, and yeah. then he starts scatting in the middle of another sort yeah. of jazz pop- throwback, yeah. and no. It's like, Sorry, yeah, Paul. This is way too precious, my friend. Um, okay, so we'll get to my side B here. And my my first track on side B, Why Don't We Do It In The Road, is my first track on side B. You got B. it, okay. I love that song, and I le- I wanted to have something on the record that retained the looseness of the actual white album you know and why don't we do it in the road is a song that i genuinely love because it's just this sort of caveman throwaway song it never would have been on a real beatles record and yet it has to me like a really cool vibe to it like i've always liked it and i've and i liked uh i like that mccartney did it you know like his vocal on it is great it just sounds like he made up a song in five minutes and then put it on the record yeah so i like that as like the beginning of side B. I also think it has sort of a demented feel to it a little bit. And I wanted that demented sixties thing to be part of the record. So that's my side. That's my side B kickoff it goes into your blues, um, which I always loved. I know you're not into blues rock. I feel like you have like an anti blues rock bias. Yeah. So that no, would... I, I had a feeling that you were going to have your blues and I was not, and you were going to give me guff for it. Well, um, no, no, I don't give you guff because I totally understand why you would put it on, but I love it. I love the guitar solo in it, which I think is John Lennon playing it because it doesn't, it doesn't sound like a George Harrison guitar solo. It sounds sort of primitive and, and simple. It sounds like something more John Lennon would play. And, uh, it's one of those things where I don't know if the song itself is that great, but I think the performance is really cool. And it, it just seems like, you know, the Beatles playing live in a studio, loose and, and rocking it up. And it just feels a lot more casual than a lot of their records usually sound. So I, I, I like that element of it. Going into Mother Nature's Son. And this is a lift that I'm taking from the actual White Album because Your Blues and Mother Nature's Son, that's a segue on the second disc of the White Album, and I always really liked that transition. Um, and that wasn't on your record either. Are you not a fan of that song? I was really close to including that. Uh, but it, it would have been affirmative action for Paul's song <laughs> if I had snuck that in somewhere. I mean, I guess I put that one on and Blackbird. I guess Blackbird and Mother Nature's Son are sort of like in the same camp of just like really beautiful folk pop McCartney songs. I mean, I think Mother Nature's Son is probably a little bit better I think as a song, I don't know. Yeah, I'd rather hear it, though that might just be an overplay factor at this point. I don't know. I think it's a great song, really beautiful. And it's one of those songs that I think it has that 60s pastoral feel, but I don't know. I could imagine like the Manson family playing that around a campfire, too. There's just something about it that I think has a dark vibe, even though it's not overtly dark. Right. Happiness is a Warm Gun, next. And this song was on both of our records. I think this is also among the top echelon of White Album songs. Um, it would definitely be my top like three or four songs on this album. And another one with a great cover. 
Breeders cover is excellent. That's right. Although, to me, this song is all about John Lennon's vocal, which mm-hmm. I think is amazing, especially at the end where he does that sort of 50s doo-wop, like high-pitched like falsetto thing. Yeah. And the band drops out, I think, is, is pretty incredible. I mean, to me, it's just a great example of like, Lennon doing like his 50s pastiche thing, which he would do throughout his career. Like, you know, like his last hit single was just like starting over. And this is sort of in the same vibe of that, like, like a, like a, like an old timey type rock and roll song. And yet the lyrics are so foreboding and like so druggy. Mm. (laughs) And I don't know. I just feel like it's almost like a couple different songs in one. Like it starts off in one place and then, like, uh, the chorus is totally different. You know, it, it's just like he's, spl- it's almost like a little sweet. Right. A little uh, heavy road medley. Uh, time. My next song is Cry Baby Cry, which was also on your uh, album. And this is a, like another, I think, dark horse song on this album. I feel like it's not among necessarily the most well known songs on the White Album, but I feel like anyone who's like a Beatles fan always. Stumps for Cry Baby Cry. It's being like yeah, great I think song. a lot of people do listen to the White Album's first three sides and then sort of jump ship. Right. I know. <laughs> it's I like, think, I feel like Cry Baby Cry is buried a little bit. Yeah. And I, that's part of why I put it second on side A was I was like, I'm going to rescue Cry Baby Cry from being, you know, sort of buried at the end of this very long and difficult record. Because uh, it's great. I think it's an awesome song. And like, in my mind, I, I, I put this in the same company as like, Sexy Sadie, like they have a similar sound and vibe to me. I, I know you didn't put Sexy Sadie on your record. Like, are you, mm. how do you? Feel? And that's kind of because I th- I thought those were two pretty similar ah. songs, and I like Cry Baby Cry better. And also, Cry Baby Cry fits also my theory of like John songs with great bass lines. That's true, but I don't know. It's like I I, I see what you're saying about the the sameness of there, but I like, uh, put them both on because they're both awesome. And then my last song, and you took a shot at this song. Before, and I think this is a beautiful song. It's it's uh, Julia. Ah. <laughs> You're not a Julia fan? Not a Julia fan, no. Oh, how can you say that? It's yeah, such a beautiful This know. song has reduced me to tears, man. It's thinking about his mom. Beautiful, very dreamy. Again, it has that sort of Dear Prudence dreamy guitar on it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, I don't know, I guess the, the, the softer stuff on this, and I guess this applies to Blackbird as well, is... To me, stuff that doesn't stand as well on its own, it, it it fits that sort of effect we were talking about earlier, where I like it as, I like those songs as bridges between songs, but not necessarily as the the uh, feature. Ah, uh, man, I feel like Julia, you know, I, I mean, I know, I know what you mean about some of the pretty songs, like there's that song, I Will, for instance, mm-hmm. like the McCartney song, which... I like that song, but it's a it's a pretty sort of throwaway song on the White Album. But Julia, to me, it feels like a pretty major John Lennon song. And just the way that it's recorded, I feel like there's a part in the song where it almost sounds like he fucks up on guitar a little bit. I mean, it, it just yeah. sounds like a demo to me. And it seems like very naked and uh, sort of unadorned. And again, I guess maybe looking ahead to like the Plastic Ono Band record. Like, it feels like, like this song could have been on that album, you know, very sort of confessional, talking about something that was, you know, painful to him. Um, and I just feel like as an album closer, I like it as a contrast with Helter Skelter, which is the first song on my album, this roaring, rocking song, and then you have this very quiet, you know, subdued track. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, I would have put long, long, long there for that, but <laughs> yeah, you do you, Steve. Well, long, long, long. Again, you know, I, you know, it's funny that you put it on your record because I, th- I, you know, I said I regretted not putting it on, but I think that's that's totally a mood piece. Whereas Julia, I think, has a mood and also I think is actually a really good song. So that would be my case for that. Well, no meat cute. We did have it. very different albums in the end. So Obla Di Obla Da didn't make it either record. <laughs> no. And uh, Back in the USSR? No Back in the USSR. Yeah, all the Paul songs, all the big time pop Paul songs are kind of taking a hit. Yeah, I mean, Back in the USSR is another one that I like for what it is. And that one, I mean, you say Helter Skelter is Paul listening to the, the Who and making a song back in the USSR is pretty clearly a Beach Boys pastiche. Right. Like, uh, I don't know, Paul seemed to start on a lot of songs with like, I want to do X but Y. And, right. You know, maybe that, that doesn't quite stand the test of time, I guess, in some cases. When I think about back in the USSR, for some reason, I always think of the Billy Joel version. Like, he did, <laughs> like he did the live album in, in the USSR. <laughs> Right. I think that was maybe the first version I heard of it because that was that came out in the late '80s when I first. That was around the time I started listening to the radio, and I think that was a hit. So I was. I think there's a part of me that always feels like, oh, they're covering Billy Joel. <laughs> Billy Joel yeah. song about going to the USSR. I'm hearing it in reverse. Yeah. You know. Uh, so maybe that uh, knocks it down a couple. It's also times like a, a weird song to think about because we, uh, I presume, both heard first heard that song in the 80s where the USSR was a very different thing than in 1968 so I wonder how that song scanned especially given all the like you know flip-flopping on revolution too and Chairman Mao and right. all, you know John trying to have it both ways and it's kind of like a weird like goofy version of uh, like sending up John's political leanings of the time and I mean, there's, it was probably a lot more interesting, I think, in 1968 is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, and like John, you know, he, I don't know, he definitely had a political consciousness. I wonder, to some degree, I feel like he was maybe a little Kanye-ish for his time, you know, as far as just sort of gravitating to uh, a superficial version of politics, you know, like, yeah. you know, I don't know. I mean, he obviously put he was obviously a pretty big activist in the seventies and he was like an enemy of Richard Nixon and all that stuff. But so I don't know, I could be talking on my ass on that one, but um, I'm going to say, I don't hate Obla Di Obla Da. I know it's like, Oh, uh, you're supposed to hate that song. I don't, I don't hate it. And you know, it's funny cause I always think of that song as the theme song of life goes on. Do you remember that show? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. I think that's the first I ever heard that song. And I, and then I heard the white album a couple years later and I was like, what the 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 theme song from Life Goes On is on the on the White Album? Wait, How what? did they get the rights to that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it is probably everybody of our generation's first exposure to ska. So yeah, that's true. That going for it. I you know, and I don't know if it even registered as ska necessarily to me when I first heard it. I think someone had to point out to me like, oh, that, that, that's like a ska rhythm and i'm like oh yeah, yeah. you still think of the beatles playing a ska song i know i know so it's sort of yeah weird. no i think it's fine i mean i think uh i think it's better than like you know neither of us have birthday which is probably one of the most played songs on the white say. album but it does also in my opinion like the laziest song on here probably. oh yeah <laughs> i mean you know <laughs> you like got nothing to do that song you got like ringo's drums like ringo's bringing it on that That's song true. but yeah it that's like the, the 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 trilogy of like like you know McCartney, big time you know, 
I guess, arena songs or whatever. He's got USSR, Obladi Oblada, and Birthday, yeah, which are like, I don't hate any of those songs. I'm just like, yeah, you know, if I'm making a 12-track white album of like my favorites, they're, I'm not going to put those on. But if they're on, I don't hate them. You know, they're, they're sure. fine. Yeah, there's not a song on here, even Honey Pie, which <laughs> I was very mean to. Yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't cut it off. It plays its role. It's yeah. like weird Paul minstrel song, but, you know, whatever. That's what people were doing back then. You gotta, you gotta preserve history. Yeah. Well, uh, like a song like Rocky Raccoon is like sort of the quintessential, like if I pulled this out and just treat it on its own, like that's just a weird song. And I don't even know what they were going for, but I'm never going to skip Rocky Raccoon when I'm listening to the light album. It's, that's got its role to play. Well, and that was a song too. That was like one of the, songs that Manson gravitated to, I think, too. Like, Rocky Raccoon was one, and uh, certainly Helter Skelter. Right, Blackbird. Blackbird, you know. Piggies. So, I, I almost put Piggies on there. Oh, that's I right, yeah, Piggies a big one. a defense one. of Piggies. That's right. Well, you know, maybe we could have saved some lives if I if one of our 12-track versions had, had, had come out, you know. Like, there's not, <laughs> you know, I guess we both have Helter Skelter, but there's no piggies on there. So, you know, maybe, maybe Charles Manson would have not gotten any ideas. Right. They the wouldn't have known what to write on the wall. But, yeah, you know, you and I, I think we both agree that we like the Sprawl, the White Album. And it's fun to make a 12-track version, but, you know, just listen to the regular White Album. It, right. It's a mess, but it's great. Yeah, even Revolution 9. Exactly. And as a gesture, I'm glad it exists. I don't need to listen to it usually, but I'm glad they went there and they put it on the record. And, uh, you know, and then Pearl Jam made their own Revolution Number 9, like 26 years later or whatever, on, on Vitology. And it's like, oh, same thing. This is not anything I need to listen to. Um, <laughs> so, all right, man. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, Rob, always great to be on the show. Always playing fantasy, and it's always fun to play. Well, I guess not always fun to play fantasy A and R, but we did it for the first time. Hopefully, we'll do it again. We got to figure out another album that we're going to butcher. Right, I would love to. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, we'll take care. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, All right, so that was Rob and I getting into the White Album, fantasy A and R. I think this is going to be a fun game. I, I want to do other episodes like this. There's other records that I think we could easily do. You know, like Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness immediately comes to mind as a big album. There's others. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to butcher classic records. Do we get to add songs to records? You could do that, too. Why? Do you have something in mind? Uh, no, I'm just wondering. You're just, just wondering? wondering? How, how the game's going to work. Okay, you can add, you can subtract. I mean, yeah, because Rob put on the single version of Revolution. On Which is the, a nice whatever. move, I thought. It, it was. was like, it was. Yeah. I thought about doing that, and I didn't do it. I couldn't pull the trigger. Rob had more guts than I did, so good job, Rob, on that. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Got to thank Derek Madden, the man who makes everything happen. Thank you, Derek. Got to thank Josh Copperman for writing our theme song. And, of course, thank you to our Celebration Rock listeners for being supportive, for talking about us, for leaving reviews of us on iTunes, all those things. Uh, We wouldn't be here without you, so thank you again for doing that. Uh, Guys, we will be back again next week with more Celebration Rock. Take it easy. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything wherever you listen.